right, good morning, everybody. Give yourselves a hand for being here. Labor Day weekend, I'm proud of you. You didn't go out to South Texas on a lake somewhere on Labor Day. You're right here in the flood of God, right here at Hill City. Can we also clap for all of our online family? We love you guys so much. In fact, I just got text. Uh, uh, many of you remember uh, Pastor uh, Ryan and Sarah Wood. We sent them uh, south of here a few years ago to take over a church. They are pastoring there. And Pastor Ryan had a little situation where he ended up in the hospital. And uh, so he texted me. He goes, I'm watching online PA at Hill City. So, Pastor Ryan, we love you. We're praying for you, believing for your complete recovery, bro. What a great family. What a great uh, work they're doing down around Colleen, Texas. If you got any military personnel, tell them to look up their church, Pastor Ryan and uh, Sarah Wood, and they're doing a great work. We are in a series titled Serve. Everybody say serve. serve. Turn to the person next to you and say serve. serve. Turn to the person on the other side and say serve. <clears throat> So we'll take a moment and just review for a second. Last week, we talked, and what we're going to be looking at is three biblical areas of servanthood. We started last week where the scriptures are very clear to us that we're to serve one another as the body of Christ, as other brothers and sisters. In fact, Hebrews 10, excuse me, 6 and 10 said, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him, the love you showed God as you helped his people and continued to help them. And so we, we realized in scripture last week very clearly that it is, our, it is our showing of love to God that we would actually do, um, that we would help each other in the body of Christ. That the church, in fact, in fact, Jesus said, they'll know that you belong to me by the way you love one another. They'll say, oh, they, they must be Christian. Look at the way they love one another. In fact, uh, Galatians 6 and 10 said it like this. So then we have opportunity uh, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And look, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Turn to that person next to you and say, you're of the household of faith. And so I'm going to serve you. I'm going to make you great in Jesus' name. Now, some of you do not realize you're kind of new to our church. And you don't realize um, that there are wonderful places for you to serve the body of Christ. Specifically, we know that many of your schedules are super busy. And so even trying to be with us on Sundays is a, is a real task with all the things that God's entrusted you with business and, 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 and kids that you're raising and family members and, and aging parents or something like that. And so we have boiled it down in a real easy way for you to serve, to use your gifts and your talents to actually increase and help others um, by blessing them by serving here. In fact, I'm going to put a QR code up, and if you've not had the opportunity to serve, maybe you would be interested in serving in our media team or our sound and uh, our sound and uh, production team or maybe in kids ministry, you can scan that right now, and it'll take you to a spot in our website to where you can fill out some information, and you just let us know, say, man, I'm interested in serving the body of Christ, as Pastor Allen's been teaching us out of the Word of God. I don't want to be rebellious and demonic. I would love to... I'm just kidding. <laughs> I thought that would get a laugh. That was like, whoa. Um, yeah, and, but, um, you know, I was laughing, um, praying over this a couple weeks ago because I remember the multimillionaire who was always traveling and always gone, but he said, Pastor, I've got to serve, as the scripture says, the body of Christ, and he committed to be on the welcome team, and once a month, he'd hold the door. Multimillionaire, come on, God bless you. Oh, let me hold that umbrella for you. Just a phenomenal man of God because he understood the truth of the scripture that we are like our are like our Savior, Jesus Christ, who did not come to be served, 
but to serve and lay down his life as a ransom for many. So I want you to have that opportunity. I want you to be able to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And so as we jump into today's teaching, part two, and we're going to talk about and learn about serving our communities. Everybody say our communities. You can do better than that. Say our communities. Martin Luther, the great reformist, said it like this. Uh, what is it to serve God and to do his will? Question mark. What is it to serve God and do his will? Nothing else than to show mercy to our neighbor. For it is our neighbor who needs our service. God in heaven need it not. Needs it not. God's okay. When we serve, we're serving our community on behalf of the Lord Savior, Jesus Christ. So I thought I would bold this teaching down to four biblical truths. Write these down. Four biblical truths for serving our communities. I want you to understand what the Bible says is in reference to we the believers serving our community, our neighbor, the lost and dying, our, the communities in which we live, the guys down the street, the family next door, uh, you know, our local government needs, our ISD needs, and things like that. In fact, this church was birthed from the position of serving Cedar Hill. Uh, years ago, our name was actually Church on the Hill. It was um, the word that God gave us, a city on a hill. And, uh, and at the same time, we were, we were planting this church in Cedar Hill, Texas. And so we immediately went to our local government officials and said, how can we be a blessing? You know what we realized? That, uh, that uh, city, um, city governments do not like churches <clears throat> for the most part. Do you know why they don't like churches? Because churches um, take the prime land in a city and they get all kinds of people to help pay for it, their constituents, they then take it off the tax roll and see your city government, your roads are in the shape they're in, your school districts are in the shape they're in based on the taxation of the people. So if you have large numbers of people that are paying their taxes, then you have the ability to use those funds properly and sometimes not properly, but you have the ability to use those funds to make life better for the people. Your, your fire department can get paid better if you've got good taxation because you have good housing in the area and people want to move there and they're paying top dollar and so then their taxes towards the house. But we realize as we begin to partner with the city on what can we do they were like you know honestly i'm grateful that you came to us they told us that because most churches don't care fly and flip in fact what they do is work against what the city's trying to do to improve the city and so we just asked them what do you need and they said well we need volunteerism we have these events that we do and uh and we just don't have anybody helping so we started volunteering at the events well, they they said we need we need help with uh making you know uh some of these uh, boards that make decisions like your you know like your parks and Rex, some of you saw the TV show back in the day, but you, these and volunteer boards get get good Christian moral people on these boards, helping us make decisions for our city and having representation. Then they said, "Look, our school district needs just people to come read to the kids," and we jumped in, and we have been that church from the very beginning. We believe, as the Scripture says, that we're called to love our communities. Are you with me today? Say yes. So let me give you the first biblical truth. There are many in Scripture, but I'm going to only hone in on four today. And number one, the early early church was favored. Everybody say favored. The early church, the beginning of the church in the New Testament and, you know, in, in, in 1 AD from that point forward, the early church was favored because they served their communities. See, as a modern day pastor, one of the things that is training up a church, um, one of the things that haunts me at night is, am I raising you up as as, par, as per the original design that God had for his church. As I look at progressive Christianity, I look at all these people, you know, deconstructing their faith. I look at church that 
doesn't look as much anymore like the early church, the pattern of the early church. So that haunts me at night. Lord, am I, am I doing it right? Am I leading your people right? I want them to look like what you designed originally. And, <clears throat> and some of you know this. When you create the original design, the original pattern, and that pattern gets used and used and used and used and used, after a while, the thing that comes, the product of a pattern that's worn out, the product begins to be worn out, and then the next season of reproduction is not as good, and it gets worse and worse and worse if you're not careful. And so we want to always be a church that goes back to the original design of what God said his church would be. Are you with me today? Say yes. And so I'm constantly going back to Acts chapter 2 and verse 44, I want you to look at it with me, which I believe is the original design, the original purpose and plan and workings of the New Testament church we see here enacted. And I think it's the pattern that's supposed to be happening with all of us as the years have gone by, but it's gotten a little sloppy. So going back to it, verse 44, all the believers were together. Everybody say together. <clears throat> they were together. They didn't have schisms and fights and messes and stuff. They did, and the apostles were constantly rebuking them. That's why the epistles are full of, get right with your brother and sister. Don't do that to your brother and sister. The, the epistles are full of teaching the church how to love one another. It says all the believers were together and had everything in common. They actually begin to have communal living, if you will, not like, you know, these guys, you know, going to do this little commune, you know, they're in, on, on the offshores of Hawaii somewhere out in the, in the woods or something. But we're talking about they had everything in common. They, their needs were being met. Look, verse 45. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to, everybody see that Latin next word? Gave to what? Anyone. Everybody say anyone. Only white people? Anyone. Only rich people? Only important people? Anyone. Only poor people? Anyone as they had need. And not just the believers. That's what this is, this is, is communicating. Anyone as they had need. Verse 46, every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. Aren't you glad we don't meet every day for church? Praise you, Jesus. I love y'all, but not that much. Come on now. That's what we got social media for, I guess. <clears throat> and they broke bread in their homes. This is why we do small group life is because we need to be together outside of the general meeting because you can come up in church. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Oh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> but when you get a close with each other outside of the church, then we know who we really are. Are you with me? Say yes. Then and only then do we truly grow because sometimes on the Sunday, it's more of a production. It's more of a, of a, um, you know, a, a presentation that we make to one another. Praise the Lord. I'm fine. Thank you, Jesus. God is good. But when we get to doing life with other people and we're hanging out in each other's homes and we're going to Starbucks together and we're sitting over there at Chick-fil-A as the kids climb on the playground and we're saying, listen, how's it really going? And we begin to really get down into the needs and begin to see God can move when we pull off all the facade and start being real and honest. That's what they were doing. They met, they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They didn't care that the living room was trash. They didn't care that the sink didn't work so good. Come on, somebody. They got together because family gets together, ate together. And it says, verse 47, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You didn't have to grow a church with church crow strategies in the New Testament church. You know, if we send out 17,000 flyers to this neighborhood and we spend this much money, and then if we get them the kind of kids' playground that they all want, and then we serve them free coffee on this, and we give away, uh, if, if we give away an iPad every Sunday for the month of Sunday, we can get them to come and they'll keep coming. And they didn't do none of that. You know what they did? They loved their community. 
They serve their community. As people had needs, they stopped. Hold up, guys. We got to help this guy right here. I don't even, this, this dude's Muslim and I, I don't, it doesn't matter. He has a need. And I have the ability to help serve that need. I have the ability to, to show love in that process. Are you with me? And look what it says. It says, because of that, they had favor with all the people. All the people. So even though persecution was stirring against them, the people loved the church. Would you say that the people in communities these days love the church of Jesus? Some places, yes. Some places, no. But I tell you, Hill City's going to be a church where our community loves us. Because it's hard to hate someone who's constantly serving you and showing you love. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. Together they sold everything and they brought forth this love to their community as they saw needs. They just met the needs. They just met the needs. They're constantly calling us and saying, can you help here? Because they know that Hill City will help both at our Mansfield campus, here at our Cedar Hill campus, and even with our own line. Do you know that Jesus loved the community so much? In fact, most of Jesus's work was in the community. You know that? He didn't just have his little followers that he set around discipling us. Hey, don't let anybody else in the door right now because I just, I'm just so tired. So many people hurting. Do you know he would stay up through the night laying hands on sick people and healing them? Jesus is the original physician. Do you understand, in, especially in ancient times, they might have had doctors, but they were more like, um, you know, like uh, herbalist. They didn't really have the ability and they didn't have the modern technology to actually care, excuse me, the, actually, the ability to help the things that were the most needy, like blind eyes, deaf ears, broken bones. Are you tracking with me? They could give you a little herbal tea that they mixed from some plant and hoped it didn't kill you. And so as we see from the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he practically helped people. If you had been injured in an accident and there were no lawyers to help you in ancient times get you some money out of this deal, right? And so you've been injured in an accident. You can't work anymore. So now you're on the side of the road begging and pleading for someone to give you. You're, you're so shamed. You've lost all your dignity now. You've been a strapping man who could actually provide for their family, but you got injured in a rock quarry accident that you worked in. And now all of a sudden you're paralyzed from the waist down and you're begging on the side of the road. People have to drag you to get to the side of the road out in front of the mall, begging people for some money so that you can maybe have a little bit of food for your kid and maybe helping get get a pair of shoes before he starts kindergarten. Are you tracking with me? Kind of put it in modern times. And Jesus comes along and says, buddy, I can fix you like this. And he heals you. And now you've got your dignity back and you can work again. This is the great, from the very beginning, Jesus modeled for us loving the hurting in our community. In fact, you may or may not have time to go do this research on your own. I did a lot of research this week on it. And from the very beginning, do you know who started all the hospitals? And all of the education centers, the church. Do you know why the church did that? Because the church understood a principle in the Holy Scriptures that we are to love and to serve our communities. Can you imagine hospitalization that wasn't run by folks who were trying to make money off of you? That's what the early hospitals were like. That's that We committed ourselves to helping people with whatever we had. That was the if you will, the history of the church. Educating people because being uneducated keeps you from being able to overcome the difficulties of life. That all started with the church. This is in our DNA from the very beginning of who we are, that we are favored 
when we love our community. We will find favor from the community as we serve them and give our hearts and lives to you. I I know that I'm not making you shout amen, but truth is still in the works, all right? That brings me to number two, the second great biblical truth, I would say, when it comes to serving our communities, and that is you will be enriched as you serve your community. Proverbs 11.25, whoever brings blessings will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. Or NIV says it like this, the generous will prosper, those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. As you give to others, God will be sure that you are enriched in the process. As As you refresh others who are having a tough go at it, God says, I will be sure that you are refreshed as well, as you and I get from the very beginning in the Old Testament, before there even was a new, new covenant relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, from the very beginning, God put into play, almost like gravity, this concept of sowing and reaping. If a man sows, a man will reap. In other words, if you work hard, you'll get benefit from it. From the very beginning, God put this into play. We see it all throughout the Old Testament. We see, it blo- we see it bloom in the New Testament. As you sow, you will reap. It is a principle in God. In fact, God is very clear in multiple parts of Scripture. I will not be indebted to anyone. If you help that brother and sister over there, and they treat you like, like, like worthless, and they don't have any value for you, even though you gave to them, I will be sure that you are repaid. God says, I will not be, be indebted to anyone. If you love on someone and they don't re, re, uh, you know, re, replenish that love back to you, he says, I will find a way that someone else will bring back to you that which you've given out. Are you with me? Say yes. This is God. This is the God that we serve. In fact, it's been interesting as I've, over the years, have grown up in Christendom and, and as a pastor and a leader, you see some of the whole, one of the reasons that the younger generation can't stand the prosperity teaching is because of this little bit of manipulation in this concept of sowing and reaping. And the reason that is, is because somewhere along the line, not all those who teach prosperity, but some of them got alongside where if you sow something, you sow it so you can get something. And that little bit of tweak brings in selfish ambition. I'm going to sow, praise the Lord, I'm going to sow a Honda Accord so I can get me a Mercedes. Hallelujah. Because he says, whatever man sows, that shall he also reap. I'm telling you today, some of you need to give the Isaiah 47.7 blessing. If you give $474.70, the Isaiah 47.7 blessing will come to you. And all of us with any right minds are going, what is that? But someone else who also is motivated by selfish ambition, if I give this, I'm going to get this. Well, heck yeah. Why would I not spend $5 on a lottery ticket so I can win a billion dollars? Let's go. Right? Opposed to, no, 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 no. The concept in scripture, the purity is I will give even if I get nothing back. I will give even if I get nothing back. This is, this is what true servanthood is like. But then God says, but hold up, let me remind you. If you give, if you enrich others, I will enrich you. If you bless others, I will bless you. If you refresh others, I will refresh you. It may not be in this lifetime. It may not be the way you want it. But I will be sure that you're taken care of because I am the God that will be indebted to no man. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. And so it's that little bit of tweak. People ask me all the time, are you a prosperity teacher? I say, well, I'm sure not a poverty teacher. God wants you poor, sick, miserable, divorced. No, I absolutely believe that God wants to 
bless his sons and daughters. Absolutely believe that suffrage is a part of sometimes of a life of a believer. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. I absolutely believe that God wants to raise us up out of the miry clay. Absolutely. Call that prosperity. Call it what you want. I call it Jesus living. But at the end of the day, when you and I are manipulative to try to give something to get something, that literally infects the whole concept. Remember last week we talked about the kingdom of darkness and the way it's DNA and the kingdom of light and it's DNA? That's the kingdom of darkness DNA, that I'm going to give something so I can get something from you. Have you ever borrowed something from someone or someone ever loaned you something that you knew good and well they were going to make you pay for it? You know what I'm talking about? <clears throat> Somebody that, you, that had something and you knew good and well that if, you, if they scratched your back, now you're going to have to scratch theirs. That is the most, we had some folks in the church years ago that everyone would come to me and say, Pastor, I, I needed to borrow something. And this brother said, oh, I got that. And so I was like, oh, thank you so much. And they borrowed it from them and brought it back nice and clean and fixed up. But boy, look, when they needed something, they put the screws to me like, you know, you know what I've done for you. And I'm expecting you to do this for me now. And Pastor, I didn't even have the ability to help them in that moment. Look at that manipulation. We're not going to do that with God, and we're not going to do that with our communities. This is where the beauty of righteousness comes in, that I serve just to serve. I give just to give. And God, though, at the same time, will reward those who are faithful to his nature. Are you with me? Say yes. Come on. Are you with me? Say yes. A couple years ago, um, it's been, I've been, I was in the middle of the pandemic, so it's been a couple years ago. Um, one of the guys in our church, one of the young guys, um, had this old beat-up Honda Civic that he let, you know, he, he, he didn't have the ability to kind of fix it up, and it just got worse and worse until finally he parked it on the side of the house, and, uh, and, and he went and got him something with a little note on it. Well, I found out this car was on the side of his house, and I asked him, I said, hey, bro, would you mind if I buy that off of you? He's like, sure, PA, sure. What, 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 how much you want to give me for it? I said, what's it worth? He goes, I don't know, a couple hundred bucks. I said, I'll give you $400. He goes, great. Jamie's like, what are you doing? We don't need a car. I said, yeah, everybody needs a Honda Accord. Who knows, you know? It's a backup car. You know what I'm talking about, like a, a backup car. We're from Louisiana. We're used to having a bunch of them in the driveway and <clears throat> in the front yard with parts, you know? We part it out, make millions, you know, some kind of side hustle. And so I take this little car, and, and I've got a little bit minuscule, a little bit of mechanical skills. And, you know, first thing I did was it needed a thermostat. So I changed that out myself, bought the part, and uh, needed a, it needed a new fan, an air coolant fan. So I changed that out, some little things that I could do, watching YouTube videos. Come on, somebody. And then from there, you know, the window was stuck and wouldn't go. And so I replaced that. And, and I, I had about $1,500 completely in this car, got it up and running. I was so proud of myself. Every day after work, you know, I'd go and work on this little car. And Jamie's like, what are you doing out there? I'm like, I'm fixing up this little car. He's like, what if we don't need that car? I'm like, we might. You never know. I just, I, everybody needs a Honda, Honda Civic. You know, them suckers will go to a billion years. I mean, listen, at the end of the apocalypse, it'll be roaches and Honda Civics that are still alive. <laughs> just telling you right now. And so I had it all, you know, I, had, I don't even know why I was doing it, I was just doing it. And then, uh, you know, I got it fixed up. We, we drive it, we'd use it, you know, one of the kids are like, Dad, can I borrow a car for right now? This is, sure, borrow, I got the Civic, yeah. And, uh, and so one day I'm sitting in my office at Christ for the Nations, and a gentleman comes in and is meeting with me. He, got, he starts pouring out his heart. He goes, can I just privately tell you something? I said, sure. He goes, because I got an opportunity to go on with my education at another school, but I don't have transportation. I said, Would you just pray for me? He had no idea that I had this little car. And as soon as he said that, I said, 
I said, Doug, what are you doing right now? He goes, he says, nothing, I'm free for the day. I said, jump in. So I took him, I took him 30 minutes away to my house, you know, and I roll up. And, he's like, and the whole time he's talking with me, he's thinking, what is, 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 is PA, you know, kidnapping me? What, what are we doing here? So we roll up, and I said, wait right here in the car. And I run inside, and I get the key, and I drive him around the side of my house. And I said, in the driveway is this little Honda Civic. And I'm telling you, it is not pretty. It is, it is, it's a used older used car, you know, it's got like 160,000 miles on it, but it's a Honda Civic, it'll go, like I said, apocalypse, it'll still be there, <clears throat> and so, and so I, I walk, I get him out of the car, I said, come here, I said, uh, would you like this car, and I handed him the keys, he goes, what do you mean, I was like, would you like this car, he goes, whose is it, I was like, no, I didn't steal it, it's mine, and um, I said, uh, and I've been fixing it up, I had no idea why I was fixing it up, I just wanted to fix up a car, like, like, side thing to do, and and uh, hobbies, you know, and, um, and he goes, PA, you would give this to me? I said, it's yours right now. I said, now, the little guy who originally owned it, he couldn't find the title, so that's y'all's business. I ain't fooling with it. And, uh, and so I said, but let's call him right now. And he goes, let me go look one more time, Pastor Adam. He finds the title while he's talking to us in the driveway. I'm like, now, you got to go deal with all that. That's not my issue. I don't care, but I'm giving you this car. And listen, that guy has been so blessed. And I was so excited to give that away. Well, within that year, uh, we moved because Jamie didn't want to live as a city girl. She wanted to be a farm girl. And so she moved us to this property. It's got a little farmhouse. It, it's, it's a quarter of a mile from the gravel driveway from my house to the end of the driveway where they pick up the garbage cans. And you know, in Cedar Hill, we got those giant garbage. So I'm trying to pull these garbage cans a quarter mile down the end of the thing. And so we weren't two months into this thing. And I'm like, baby, we need, we need a side-by-side or something. And so we're looking and they're like $6,000 used. I'm like, oh my goodness, we can't get that. Pastor Jonathan's trying to help me find a side-by-side. And then we are like, forget that. What about a golf cart? Maybe a golf cart. Maybe those are cheaper, one with a little bed so I can throw the garbage cans up on them and things like that. And man, we can't afford a golf cart. And so I'm telling one of the guys in the church about it and he goes, you need a golf cart? I was like, man, if, if you know anyone who's selling one cheap, he goes, I got one, I'll give you. I was like, you have a golf cart, you give me? Nah, man, I, you know, that, that false humility, nah, brother, I'll pay for it. How much is it? And uh, he goes, nah, pastor. He said, I'm gonna give it to you because you can't afford it. I was like, nah, nah, man, how much? He's like, nah, I'm gonna just give it to you. I was like, what? And he rolls up with this golf cart. It's jacked up off the ground. It's got rims on it. It's got, it's got the lights on it and that kind of stuff. I was like, bro, are you serious? He goes, Pastor, we're not using it. I bought a side-by-side. It's just been sitting in the garage. I was like, I'm sitting there weeping. Why? Because he will refresh those who refreshes others. It was a year. I, I didn't even know what I was going to need down the road. Are you with me? And he was working all things together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purposes. God will refresh you and enrich you as you serve and love others. You say, because some of you have a hard time giving because you've never had anyone give to you. And so you have this whole fearful thing. Like if I give, you need to understand they're not your source. God says, this is a walk of faith. God says, if you help others, I will help you. I, you don't know where it's going to come from. He may use somebody down the road. He may use some lost person that you've never met. Grandmother may pass away and leave you an inheritance that you weren't expecting. But God will work these things together. Because if you enrich others, God will enrich you. If you refresh others, God will refresh you. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. That brings me to number three. And the third whole biblical thing in this whole serving our community. And that is, you were handcrafted to do good works. You were handcrafted to do good works. God himself handcrafted you so that you could do good works. We're finding that in Ephesians 2 and 10. 
Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are his workmanship. Everybody say workmanship. Turn to the person next to you and say, yeah, you'll work all right. <laughs> for we, that did not go as well as I thought that would. I, I, somebody got all upset. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For what? Good works. Now, some of you came out of dead religion where you were saved by your works. Uh, in fact, Islam is based on that. <clears throat> Islam is based on, that's why you see the radical Islamics um, that are martyring themselves, if you will, are killing themselves and radical blowing up things. Why? Because in their religion, they are taught that only those who do the highest of good works, Allah might accept them, might. There is no security. Whereas the true gospel, the true living God says, no, 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 no. You call upon my son, Jesus Christ, and I accept you. And I, I give myself to you even as you give yourself to me. We do good works not because it gets us into heaven or it gets God to love us more. We do good works because God's living and abiding in us through his Holy Spirit. And I can't help but love others because he's loved me. I can't help but have grace on others because he's had grace on me. Are you tracking? Say yes, because I can get your doctrine straight. But we were handcrafted to do good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, I wanted to illustrate this the best we could. And so I brought my favorite toy from when I was a kid when reference to how God hand fashioned each and every one of us. See, each and every one of us are a little different and God made us a little different, kind of like Mr. Potato Head. The fun about Mr. Potato Head is that you get to make him up how you want to make him. So we make him, this particular little Mr. Potato, we'll make him like, uh, what's the, he's like a little Mario looking guy. Oh, got to put his mustache under his nose. Yeah, there we go. There you go. Look at this guy with the little sharp punching arm. He's got the little, the, you know, the little, uh, little gangster hat thing going on. You can just hear him speaking Italian to you like, hey, you're like mafia, like, you know, hey, I'm going to kill you, you know, that's kind of thing. Okay. And so he's hand fat. Can you imagine when you were a kid, this was your, this was your masterpiece that you played. Look mommy, look what I made. Look what I made right here. All right. Because you made it your way. The thing that made you, and God's done that with each and every one of us. And each and every one of us are a little different. See, some of you, he made to look a little bit more like this. See, got that little look right there. Got that look, 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 let me put your glasses on. There you go. You so hip. You got to wear something weird every Sunday. You can't help it. But in the middle of worship, you'd be like, yeah, hallelujah. All right, there you go. And see, he's made each, every one of us have been fashioned and formulated as God has made us for what? For the good works that he prepared in advance. You got to understand that. And then some of you, some of you are like me and you ain't got time for none of that. You just want to burn it all down. Let's go. Warriorville, lost an arm, don't need an arm. You know why? Because I got a spare right here in the box. There you go. Devil, you got to pay. See, that's, that's warfare, Mr. Potato Head, right there. But each one of these are God's masterpiece, if you will, illustrating. I think about a masterpiece, his workmanship, that he puts time and effort into it. I think about the, the guy who gets that old rust bucket of a, you know, Ford Mustang from... 1967 model or whatever, he begins to work on it and, and, and get all the rust out of it and then, and then begin to, you know, to, to fabricate pieces of metal that are no longer, of, uh, you know, purchasable and, 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 and rims and tires and engines. And by the end, by, after a year or two of working on this thing, it's his masterpiece and he drives down the road 
on a Sunday with the top down as it's nice and cool and just drives that thing. It was manufactured. It was worked up to a beautiful piece of art for him. And then he wants to show it all to everyone else. God wants to show you all to the heart hurting and broken people of the world. And each one of you are fashioned a little differently. In other words, he's done things in you that he hasn't done in me. So therefore, you have works that you can do that I can't do. For example, we've got some gals in our church. We call them the soul sisters. Where are you at, soul sisters? I can't find you right now with my eyes. They're probably serving somewhere. Yep, and uh, the soul sisters. So, so when they started a small group, one of the things that they were passionate about, like, Pastor, we're going to do a small group here at Hill City, but we want you to know. Every person who comes to our small group, we're going to get them helping us get shoes together to give to kids and people who don't have shoes. They've got this whole shoe thing they want to do. Why? Because God fashioned them to serve the community with shoes. It's their thing. It's their thing. So every Christmas, they get all the small groups in the church, help us get shoes together. Why? Because it's their thing. God put in them. He handcrafted them to serve in this capacity. Me helping people get shoes, that's not, I'm this guy. I'm like, I was made for leadership development. I make leaders. You get around me, you're going to want to go charge the gates of hell with a water pistol. I just have this thing on me. Like You can do it. You can lead a small group. I can't lead a small group. I don't want anybody in my house. We live in a shack. You can do it. Stop acting like that. God made you. Okay, Pastor, I can do it. That's my gift. That's what I was hand fashioned and carved out and put inside of me because I came through a system where I had a coach that told me you can get up and you can be be better than you are, son. And I'll never forget, y'all saw Don Green for my birthday a couple years ago. A little short black guy. He was the best mentor I ever had, spoke into my life, made me the great leader that I am. And so as a result, I have these experiences in my life that says, you know what? If I can overcome, you can overcome. That's my gift to my community. That's the workmanship that he made in me. Some of you have this thing where you really have been through some things. You, you, were, you, were, um, you were misappropriated as a child and sexuality and, and when it shouldn't have ever happened. And so you have this thing that you can help young ladies who have gone through that or been molested or been raped or things like you have this thing. You have this care inside of you for a, per- a particular group in the community. Friend, you you were made that way. God took what Satan meant for evil and he turned it around for good. And now you are a life giver, even though he tried to steal life out of you, you now have been healed and redeemed. And now you can bring that. This is what servant looks like. It's not, we're all not going to be the same in how we should do it. And we're not going, oh, I think we should do that. Right. Because he put that in you. He put that in you. Well, our church needs to be doing this. this, No, no, no. He put that in you and you. And so Hill City, what we say is, let's get a whole group of people around you who are your friends who feel some similar ways, and y'all go do that. We don't need to start another ministry towards that. You are the ministry to the lost and the dying. That's what people misunderstand. The early church was not going around starting all of these programs. They were bringing life. They were bringing health. They were bringing vitality because they were standing there. They were fashioned for it. They gathered their friends and said, let's do this together. And things began to change. And the community said, those people right there, you don't touch them because they're our friends. Even though we don't believe the same way doctrinally as they do, even though we don't worship the same God, those are good people right there because they were there for my son after school, teaching him how to read when nobody else cared to fly and flip. Those people, you're not going to touch. This is what the early church looked like. They literally, God took what he had put inside of each and every one of these guys and they used it to change the world. Brings me to the fourth biblical truth. You gotta listen quick, we're wrapping this up. And that is when you help hurting people, you are loving Jesus. 
I'm going to read you a passage that's kind of scary, and I've heard pastors really misappropriate it, so we're going we're gonna to look at it from the right point of view, and that's Matthew chapter 25, Jesus speaking. It's in all red letters for those of you that have paper Bibles. In verse 31, it says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory with all of his angels with him, he'll sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates his sheep, the sheep from the goats. And he'll put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes or shoes, soul sisters, and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Verse 37, then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger invite you in and let you stay in that spare bedroom that we had for a couple months or needing clothes and clothes you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? Verse 40 is the clincher here. Jesus says it like this. The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Jesus qualifies. Whatever you did for the hurting people of your community, you were doing it for me. If you loved them, you were loving me. You did it for me. He actually continues on and he says to those on his left, he says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, because I was sick and you didn't do anything to help me. I was this, this, this. And he goes, when, Lord, we never saw you like that. And he says to them, for if you did not do it to the least of these, you did not do it unto me. Guys, we have to understand that when we serve and love our community, we are actually loving Jesus in the process. We are his hands and his feet, but we are also loving. I love the one passage of scripture that actually says in Colossians, he goes, and even if they don't, even if they mistreat you, you are doing this for me. You're doing this for me. Even if they mishandle you and misappropriate, don't show you any respect as you're trying to feed them. You're doing this for me. This is our love relationship. And so there are many times when I'm trying to help someone who doesn't want to be helped, and I realize I have to back off. Because, you know, I'm only making them, I'm only causing them to get harder hearted and I'll back off. And I'll realize in the midst of that, I'll have to remind myself, geez, I'm doing this for you. Like this joker right here needs to be punched in the face. But Lord God, I thank you, Lord God, that you died that all men might have life. And your word says that you are long suffering with us. Aren't you glad he was long suffering for you? Aren't you glad that in those times that you were away from God, that he didn't just wipe you out and destined you to hell, that he's had extended your life. Some of you should be dead. You were drunk in a car. You should be dead, you, you, but you survived that accident. You survived those moments. You don't even know how you got home. It was God being long suffering for your life so that you could have a turnaround, come on, so that you could fall in love with him, so that you could get shaken and come back to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and he's positioned you here in Hill City, and he's done that so that he's been working on you and making you new so that what? So that we can do good work in our community. That's the piece that you got to understand. Now, people ask me all the time, Pastor, how do, how do, how do you guys go about doing that at Hill City? What, what does that look like? And so I want to share that with you. Before I do, though, Dr., Dr. King said it like this, life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? This man shifted the United States of America because he went about it serving and loving. 
I'll never forget over my studies over the years to watch the difference between Dr. King and Malcolm X and the difference in the way they wanted to approach injustice. Dr. King went about it from the heart of a servant because of what the scriptures told him. And that's why this statement is so powerful. Life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? And literally gave his life so that there could be a shift in the injustice that was happening in the United States. You and I must understand that God has fashioned us and made us special to meet the needs of our community. The old story went like this, that a man fell in a pit. He couldn't get out of the pit and passing by all of a sudden, a man of empathy saw him, looked down in it and says, man, I feel for you down there. And he continued on. An intelligent person walked by and said, yes, it's logical that someone would fall down in that pit. And he continued by. A religious person walked by and said, mm, only bad people fall in pits as he continued by. A mathematician walked past and began to calculate the depth of the pit and said, yep, yep, mathematically, I can see how someone would fall in a pit as they continued by. A news reporter wanted the exclusive story on the pit. An IRS agent asked, are you paying taxes by staying down in that pit? A Sepidian person said, huh, you haven't seen anything until you've seen my pit. A fire and brimstones preacher said, you deserve your pit. A psychologist said, well, your mother and father are to blame for you being in that pit. A therapist said, believe in yourself and you can get out of that pit as he walked on. But Jesus seeing the man walked to the edge of the pit and reached down his hand and lifted that man up out of the pit. We can pray for our community. We can talk about what our community needs to do. We can moan and groan on social media about how bad it is. Or we can get out there and reach down our hand and begin to help people out of the pits in our community. And as we do, he will enrich those who enrich others. He will favor those who love others. Are you tracking with me today? Say yes. So all the time I get asked, Pastor Adam, what, how, how do we do outreach and love our community at Hill City? Well, we are very, very, very strategic. Very strategic. Because I, this isn't my first rodeo. I've been in this since I was a kid. And worked in many, 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 many venues and loved our community. So we kind of live by a couple, a couple thought processes. Number one, we organize ourselves in small group teams so that we can reach out in our communities. We organize ourselves in small group teams so we can reach out in our communities. People come to me all the time like, Pastor, we need to do something for the unwed mother's home. Yep, get your small group and y'all go volunteer at that unwed mother's home. No, no, the church needs to do something. Yeah, you are the church and you are fashioned with that inside of you. Now motivate the people around you and your small group and your family and those on the, on the street corner, those that work with you to go do that very thing. Well, no, pastor, we want you to carry the vision. No, no, I was made to do this. You were fashioned and worked to do that. And so the way we do it in Hill City is get your small group and let's go do the deal so that there's not a one-time moment that we're ministering to our community, but every day our community's being touched by the people of Hill City. This is how you got to see. And so if you came from a church that was program-based, they had a program-based, they had a program for unwed mothers, they had a program for single moms, they had a program for this and a program for that. Well, guess what happens? Someone gets in charge of that program and then they get mad at some people and then they quit and that program dies. And then someone else brings it back up a couple years later and there's this constant circle of brokenness. And so we don't live that way. I'm too smart for that. 
Been there, done that. We're not going to live that way. So what we do every year is we challenge our small groups. Every small group, hey, we're going to do a serve project at least once or twice a year to stir that inside of you. In fact, this coming weekend, this Saturday, we're going to serve in our community. Small groups are going to come together. You say, I'm not in a small group. That's okay. Just show out with us. And we're just going to start. We're going to paint houses. We're going to cut grass, whatever they tell us to do. We're going we're gonna to do it. We're going to serve as a family unit. And it's so much stronger when we work together instead of when we work by ourselves. Are you with me? Say yes. And so we do block parties to serve our community. We have the small groups. They'll organize a block party, invite all their neighbors and all the kids. And just and we, we got a bounce house here at the church. Small groups will come get it. They'll put the bounce house out in the front yard and they'll get all the neighbors over, we'll do, grill up some hot dogs. And then they'll stand there and tell their testimony. Hey, I just thank y'all for coming by my house. We love you guys. We, we actually lead a small group for Hill City. But at the end of the day, we were not gonna make it. Our marriage was done for and Jesus came and he saved us. And if you have any need, we're always here. You know where we live now. We have a small group meeting that meets once a month. You know, we... We go to Chick-fil-A. You had a group me going. If you'd like to jump in on that, just need somebody to pray for you. We'd love to connect with you like that. That's what we do. That's Hill City as how we reach into our community and are organized by small groups. The second thing that we do is we actually finance the experts. We finance the experts. For example, when we first took over this building seven, eight years ago, the church before us had a little food pantry and they worked it out of the back, uh, back of the building. And people would come, come, you know, once a week and they'd get food. Well, you had to pay people to organize that. And honestly, it was, it was, there were times that it was doing really good and times that they didn't have enough food. They, it was a breakdown in these different things. And that's when I came in and said, hey, I love that y'all did that. We're not going to continue that because what we're going to do is partner with experts. Because there are people that do food pantries that have been doing it for 50 years, like the one here in Cedar Hill. So why am I going to compete against them? How about we take our resources and make them better because they're the experts. And there is someone who's crying every day and night, oh God, help me get more food to help the people that don't have enough food. Let's get behind them guys. Why would we compete? This is what the church has done wrong. We compete with each other. Like, oh, look how good our food pantry is. Praise the Lord. No, 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 no. The Methodists have been doing a food pantry since 1957 or 65, something like that. I am dogging. We're going to take our little tithe money and our little overgiving, and we're going to give it over there so they have all the food they need, and they know that we're partner with them, and all they have to do is ring the bell, and they need some small groups to come serve one weekend because they have a, bi a bigger situation coming in. They have more trucks to unload, and all they do is pick up the phone, and we say, we got you, and one of our small groups shows up and starts serving them and helping them get that thing we partner with experts. Why in the world do we keep trying to start new things when there's people who are already good at it? We're not going to start an unwed mother's home. We're not going to start, you know, um, uh, anti-abortion counseling or right to life counseling. Why? Because there are multiple ministries throughout the Metroplex who are phenomenal at it, who have, who have, have, things that they've gone through that when they speak, my heart burns inside of me. And I've never even paid for a girlfriend to have an abortion or anything. Like my heart burns inside of me. The heart of God is coming out of them. And I'm not, and when they speak, they save babies like crazy. And so why not just give our resources to them so they can be better? Are you with me? Say yes. This is what we do. So you say, pastor, I didn't even know we did all that. Exactly. Because once a year in January, I tell you all the great things we did the year before, and you're probably still on vacation that Sunday. But anyway, that's all the stuff that we do. We continue on. <laughs> that was hilarious. By the way, and then we do collaborations. We do collaborations. 
For example, the ISD is constantly asking us to collaborate with them, and so we did. And so we, we actually adopted some of the schools here and in our Mansfield campus. We adopted them, and so we collaborate with them. They've got a plan. They just need us to collaborate and come alongside, and so we do that. And we offer our energy and our effort, and whatever they need, we come and collect. And they know they have a partner. They have Hill City as a partner. And we have, we have two schools in Cedar Hill that we have adopted because they've asked us to, asked us to and we are all in with those schools anything they need. This, friend, is the way to go about serving our community and still be able to go to work, come on somebody, still be able to raise our children, still be able to have a little fun life, you know, a little bit of fun time and be a part of our local church and serve our community. Why? Because if everybody picks up a little, the weight gets moved. But what most of the time happens is we dump it on a little small group of people and they're over here trying to make it, trying to pick it up. All we have to do is do our collaborations as they're needed give our little financial resources to help those that are experts, and then at the same time, find a place where we fit and our small groups are, are just like, we've got to do something. Then that passion, we want to turn you loose to go do it. And we have that all throughout this church. Hope that makes sense to you. I want you to stand with me quickly across the room.